0: You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction, written and read by Tansy Rader Roberts. Our current serial is Curse of Bronze, Chapter 6 The Twenty Ninth Gargoyle. What time do you call this, young lady? demanded the teapot, as Bella marched back through her parlour. Not now, Mrs. Teapot she snapped in return. Well, really? Bella had barely had a chance to look around the upper floor of the house beyond her own bedroom and bathroom, but there were six rooms up there, and according to Lionel, one of them was full of illegally obtained artefacts. Cursed objects, Bella reminded herself as she stomped up the staircase. Aunt Charlotte collected cursed objects in the course of her work, and did not always relinquish them back into the world. Not every curse can be broken, she'd informed her curious niece, back when Bella, at six years old, still imagined she might fulfil the Hathaway legacy of daring deeds and dangerous jobs. Before she watched her own mother die of a disease caused, so the doctors believed, by a lingering curse from one of Christabel's youthful adventures. The first room was Charlotte's, and still lingered with her aunt's familiar scent. Bella closed the door again quickly, not ready to be faced with that. The second was a guest room. From the various personal items scattered around, Bella guessed her sisters often stayed here, on their way to the wider world, of countries beyond the borders of Artemisia. The third was the bathroom. The fourth was Bella's own bedroom. The fifth room was full of boxes, stacked books, and a teetering pile of suitcases, more than a family of ten should own, let alone a single lady with adventurous relatives. The sixth room Right at the end of the landing was full of the stolen treasures from the brass tomb of the nameless pharaoh of Apollonia. And every single one of them was hideous. Grotesque. Bella slammed the door on them, took a few deep breaths, and pulled herself together. And then she tried again. It was an odd substance, brass, so glossy and shiny, most people associated it with the modern age. But the mining of copper and zinc, and the creation of an alloy combining the two, had been going on for thousands of years. Several ancient societies built their pipes and small tools and jewellery from brass. There was no brass age, because it was a difficult and complex substance to make until as recently as two centuries ago. Much like gold and diamonds, the difficulty added to the perceived value. Brass antiquities had been used as royal gifts, wedding cups and sacred artefacts. In the case of Apollonia, a land that celebrated arts and sciences long before it was an independent province, and had far more zinc mines than gold. They had used brass to decorate their tombs. For centuries, every wealthy corpse was buried with replicas of their favourite objects, moulded from clay and copper and brass, cats and handmaidens, musical instruments, plates of food. In the case of the nameless pharaoh, who was buried a mere 1,000 years ago, he was buried with gargoyle. Bella had heard of the Tomb of Brass here and there, but archaeology had never held any special interest for her. The best primary sources of Lupine and Sanguinary, and the other four magical languages in which she considered herself an expert, were all preserved on vellum and parchment, instead of metal or stone. She'd never imagined the nameless pharaoh of the Tomb of Brass had any connection with her family, or she might have looked into the matter more closely she certainly had not imagined that her dashing, adventurous curse-breaker aunt might have become a part-time cat burglar in recent years. But here they were. Thirty artefacts that should be in museums. Bella would concede if pressed that there was a legitimate argument the hoard should be displayed in Apollonian museums, not Artemisian. But either way... There was no excuse for them filling up one of Aunt Charlotte's spare bedrooms. "'Do any of you talk?' she asked, feeling a touch foolish. There was a long moment of silence. Near the door, a modern brass lamp, with a beautiful stained-glass lampshade, coughed discreetly. "'I'm afraid none of our grotesque house guests are especially loquacious,' he said." in an apologetic tone. Believe me, I've tried to hold a conversation with them. Bella blinked at him. On, please. The lamp turned on, sparking with electric, which only served to illuminate the twisted, ugly faces of the demons. Why are you in here if there's no one to talk to? Bella asked the lamp. This was her life now, interrogating the furnishings. Miss Charlotte charged me to keep an eye on this lot, said the lamp, preening. Louis, she says, I trust you, she says. Let me know if they get chatty. Tell me what they say to each other. I tell her I don't know any ancient languages. Never mind that, she says. You let me know if any of them start talking in modern Artemisian. Now, what do you think of that? And did they talk? "'Bella moved through the room with great care not to touch. "'The gargoyles and grotesques—gargoyles had water spouts, grotesques did not— "'were jumbled together in no apparent order. "'But there was a path arranged so you could examine each without touching, "'even if your skirt was less sensibly cut than Bella's. "'The larger sculptures sat on the floor, but others were piled on tables or shelves.' There was no precision about the arrangement, almost as if the person who stole them had no interest in them. They were in storage for convenience, not to be lovingly studied or displayed as trophies. Not a dicky-bird, madam! Bella was in no frame of mind to start counting. Are they all here? All thirty artefacts? Twenty-nine, corrected the lamp, whose name she must remember was Louis. I thought there were thirty. Twenty-nine artefacts. Thirty gargoyles. Louis tipped himself over, sending a shaft of multicoloured light towards a corner of the room. Wear the gloves, Miss Charlotte insisted. Bella found a pair of soft white gloves laid on a shelf and pulled them on. They tingled, evidently laid with some protection charms. She moved towards the corner. "'This is the twenty-ninth artifact. "'Don't know about that,' sniffed Louis the lamp. "'It's the most recent, sure enough. "'Miss Charlotte was barely out of this room the last few weeks, "'since that one turned up, "'poking and prodding and talking to it. "'Not that I'm jealous at all.' "'Bella approached the artefact. "'It looked very much like a book.' This was an oddity in itself, because according to her recent skimming research, the nameless sphero had been buried a thousand years ago. Apollonia, like Artemisia, was extremely backwards in the development of codex-style books with pages. they had only taken hold in popular use over the last six hundred years. Perhaps it was a box instead. It was large and flat, like a fancy dictionary, that a great-uncle might purchase for a small child they'd never met. There was a reptilian gargoyle face gurning out at her from the red and black cover, which appeared to be leather, new leather, at least, stamped and embossed within the last century leather, not left in a tomb for a millennium leather. Other side, called Louis, Miss Charlotte never could decide which way was up. Lights to rotate them, keep things fair. Never bothered about that sort of thing with the rest of them. There's one statue in the corner that's been upside down since February. Bella reached out with her gloved hands and lifted the front cover of the book. It was a book, no doubt about it. But the pages inside were all crisp, white, impossibly clean and blank. Slowly she turned the book over. There was a brass gargoyle embedded in the back as well, only it looked more wolf-like, a gaping, growling mouth. There were brass fixings here and there on the leather. No letters or sigils of any kind. Somewhere the house reverberated with the ringing of a doorbell. "'Do you think this one was important?' she asked Louis. To Charlotte, I mean. The twenty-ninth Gargoyle is our last hope. Absolutely, the lamp assured her. She never paid a jot of attention to the rest of them, never seen a person less interested in her own collection. But that one, she couldn't keep her hands off it. She thought this one had something to say. A book with no words, no pictures, and two mouths, snorted the lamp. If it had something to say, it would have said it already. Bella felt in a fog as she stumbled downstairs to answer the doorbell. Her aunt was a burglar and a hoarder of ancient stolen treasures. There was something important going on here, something dangerous enough that Aunt Charlotte had got herself cursed. Who hated her enough to do that? Usually her customers were rather pleased to have Charlotte in their lives, helping them and their families to live curse-free existences. Bella was going to have to make a list of all the museums that had been robbed. Surely her first pool of curse-casting suspects would be found there. She opened the front door to be faced with a squat, middle-aged woman, dressed head-to-toe in sensible tweed. Even her hat had a herringbone weave. Another of Charlotte's effusive friends. Bella did not have the strength for hags right now. "'I'm so sorry,' she burst out. "'I have an appointment. Could you possibly come back later?' "'But of course,' said the lady, with a thin smile. "'She had an outdoorsy sort of look about her.' As like she spent half her life in the sunshine. "'Here's my card. I'll pop back this afternoon.' "'She marched away in boots so solidly sensible "'that Bella was tempted to run after and ask where she purchased them. "'Instead, Bella flew inside, closed the door, "'and leaned her head against it. "'She couldn't entertain guests in this house, "'not with a fortune of stolen artefacts upstairs. "'Why had no one warned her about all this?' She returned to the parlour, to find Lionel draped in one of the floral armchairs, reading a novel and surrounded by an obscene array of cakes and savouries. The side tables had closed in around him, forming a veritable pyramid of snacks. "'Oh, hello,' he said with his mouth full. "'I hope you don't mind that I hung around. "'I thought you might have questions about what you found upstairs,' and then this happened." He indicated the bounty of food. The side tables tightened their perimeter around him. Which is to say, your marvellous household offered hospitality. I could not refuse. He had the slightly hunted air of someone who had attempted to refuse and would not make that mistake again. Meanwhile, a certain someone hasn't had breakfast. "'Mrs. Teapot said in an extremely shrill voice. "'Irresponsible young people these days with their modern habits. "'You'll be swooning by midday, mark my words!' "'Bella considered admitting that she'd eaten breakfast at Lionel's house, "'then decided against it. "'The last thing she needed was her crockery deciding she was a fallen woman. "'She looked down at the rectangle of parchment card in her hand.' and let out a small scream. Lionel leapt to his feet, causing a collapse in the nearest buttress of cucumber sandwiches. What's wrong? She waved the card at him. Look! The museums are on to us! They know what's upstairs! Professor Nellie Tunbridge, the card read, Lecturer in Ancient Linguistics at the University of Lyceum. Oh, said Lionel, sitting down again and taking a sandwich. Her. She discovered the tomb of brass in the first place, Bella hissed. Naturally, she'll be extremely cross to find out my family stole the hoard and hid it in the spare room. I'm going to have to give it all back. I'm going to have to leave the country. Surely she could throw herself on the mercy of her sisters, War-torn Malvoria couldn't be so very bad at this time of year. "'She didn't discover the tomb or the hoard,' said Lionel firmly. "'Your uncle Colin and Tag Gardner found it. "'Tunbridge took the credit. "'Bella tried to calm herself down. "'So you don't think she's after the gargoyles?' "'Oh, she's definitely after the gargoyles.' I'm just saying, she doesn't have a leg to stand on, ethically speaking. Lionel ate another sandwich. Charlotte always thought that woman did her brother in. Murder? All this and murder too? Bella stared at him. So Aunt Charlotte took the gargoyles as some kind of revenge against Professor Tunbridge? Lionel pulled a face which was only marginally less strange than his usual face. He was still better looking than all the twisty gargoyle faces Bella had been staring at. "'I never quite got the hang of Charlotte's view of the world. You'd have to ask her.' "'As advice goes, that's rather unhelpful,' Bella said. "'It's not like she left a confessional diary.' "'Diary. A book full of blank pages.' was usually a diary or a journal, waiting to be written in. Was that what she had upstairs? The 29th gargoyle is our last hope. Perhaps the 29th and 30th gargoyles weren't part of the real hoard at all, but some kind of red herring. How did one hide a tree? In a forest. If only there was some kind of language... "'that allowed you to talk to inanimate objects,' Lionel mused. "'Given how inanimate your late aunt has become.' "'Bella was out of her depth. "'She needed backup. "'She needed someone who could talk things through with her "'without pushing sandwiches and snark in her general direction. "'Does this house have a telephone?' "'Instantly, two ornate telephone tables crawled towards her on delicate legs.' Who has two telephones? Bella demanded. This really was the last straw. Actually, that one's mine, said Lionel, glaring at one of the approaching tables. Getting a bit friendly with the new neighbours, are we? I thought you didn't have any cursed furniture, said Bella, as the extra table slunk sheepishly back towards the hole in the wall, trailing its telephone wire behind it. "'No talking furniture,' Lionel corrected. "'One can't completely avoid curses living this close to your aunt.' "'Bella lifted the receiver. "'Operator, please connect me to the hotel Bathory.' "'And after a moment or two... "'Hello? This is Bella Hathaway for Mrs Macabre. "'Yes, I know it's morning. I'm so sorry. Am I too late?' "'A longer pause.' "'and then the widow-in-waiting came on the line. "'Why Miss Hathaway? "'Calling during daylight hours. "'You realise this is practically my bedtime. "'I'm sorry,' Bella said again. "'No matter. "'Have you found something for the glossary to translate?' "'Not a sigil,' thought Bella. "'Not a single stray hieroglyph.' "'Yes,' she said recklessly. Glad they were holding this particular conversation in standard and not sanguinary. Please, it's terribly urgent. Can you come to the house tonight? Oh no, said Mrs Macabre, her tone so smooth that it felt like she was pouring chocolate directly into the telephone receiver. You've piqued my curiosity. I'll come now. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the tra- traditional and continuing custodians of Latruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. If you can sign up to my... Sorry, you can sign up to my author newsletter for updates you can follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at Tansy RR. Uh, and if you like this podcast, do consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. Right now, I am doing for my $3 tiers and above an exclusive uh, teacup magic uh, prose serial, This Enchanted Island. The book will be released generally much later in the year, but people who want to read it early uh, and get it emailed chapters emailed to their, their inboxes every week, uh, Patreon is the way to get access. All right, I will see you next week for more Gargoyles.